We are in the final week of, uh, I think it's been a five-week series uh, called Make Room, where we're talking about um, learning broadly, uh, making room for other people's ideas, making room uh, in your mind and in your attitude for, for being able to learn from other people. And we've sort of presumed through this whole series an idea that it's good to learn broadly, it's good to learn from lots of people. It's good to think about and, 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 and accept other ideas. And we've, we've, instead of focusing on whether or not that's good, we've been focusing on um, the changes that need to be made inside of you to become a person who learns broadly, who sees other things and sees other ideas and learns from them. So we've been talking about things like humility, the humility that it takes uh, to, to think that someone else might have a good idea, the curiosity that it takes to wonder about things, the patience that it takes sometimes to sift through um, things, ideas that might not be good, uh, to find the one that is good inside of it, uh, the uncomfortable situations that you might get yourself into as you listen and try to understand what somebody else is saying. And today I'm going to be talking about the, the way of seeing, a way of looking around your world and, and, and how your mind like, sees what it sees when it looks around. And I have this premise that there's like two kinds of people. When you look around, you either look around and see basically darkness, basically evil, basically fallen. And, you, and that leads you to like step back a bit, right? And build a shield around yourself and say, you know, I cannot be corrupted by all of this. There's just so much wrong out there that I just, I just need to sort of put up a shield around myself and, and my friends. Or a way of looking around the world and saying, I basically see a lot of light. I see light everywhere. Yeah, it's mixed in with stuff, but I see light everywhere. And I'm, and I'm drawn to it. And I'm curious about it. And I want to engage with it. And I want to see what I can learn from it. And I'm, and I'm saying, this is the kind of seeing that we're invited to in the Bible, where we, go, where we look around and we see there is light all over the place. That's where I'm headed, okay? But I'm going to start somewhere else. Uh, I'm going to start by, by thinking about artists, artists who paint and sculpt. First, we're going to look at this uh, painting. So this is a, a painting by Vermeer, a Dutch painter, because the Dutch are the best artists there are. Thank you says Mr. Vanderweel. Uh, Vermeer, the painter, he's painting oil on canvas. He's painting in the 1600s. Um, and, and this is what you have to understand. When you go to a museum or when you read about painters' lives, especially in that kind of, oh, sorry, let's go back to Vermeer. In that kind of era, what's, they're just obsessed about the medium itself. Because Vermeer can't go to Hobby Lobby and grab a and grab a tube of paint and grab a paintbrush and then paint this person, right? For him, it's all about the medium that he has available, the pigments that he has available. And, and as art history goes through, we see like, oh, that color's new. We haven't seen that before. And artists get kind of obsessed by that. And then the next painting that is, is Van Gogh, Dutch, thank you. He, uh, he's painting a couple hundred years later. He's also painting oil on canvas. And again, if you read his writing, he's like obsessed about where am I going to find the paint next? Where am I going to find these pigments next? In addition to being obsessed about the ideas that he's trying to portray. All right, the next one, this is a different medium altogether, right? This is, a, this is Rodin, and this is a sculpture. He, he carves out of plaster this man who's thinking 
Um, and then they later cast his carving in bronze, and that's, that's a bronze casting of the sculpture that he, that he sculpted. There's, I don't know if you know, but there's like 20 of those throughout the world. You can go, there's one in America somewhere. I know that because I've seen it. I just don't remember where. Uh, but, but, but so his, his medium, what he's, what he's creating his expression out of is by cutting away plaster. Okay, the next one. Have you guys seen this movement that's going on in the world right now, which, which is chalk on pavement? So it's kind of hard when you're seeing a photograph, but the buildings on the two sides are real, and the people are real. They're really standing there in this street, but the, the, the design on the street is what, was art, what the artist uh, chalked. Well, I don't know what the verb is, to chalk. But, uh, but, uh, the, but, the, but there's artists all over the world who are now making these really amazing 3D scenes on streets. And then people go and pose on them. And most of them have some sort of element of like, ah, I'm falling over a cliff kind of thing. The, the medium here is chalk and pavement. Chalk and pavement is the medium. And, and someone has gotten incredibly good at that. All right, the next one. Uh, 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 this is Banksy. He, one word name. He's an anonymous, we think it's a he, he's an anonymous uh, artist, we think we know who he is really, but, but, but he paints anonymously, he spray paints on buildings, to which we should all be like, oh, right, uh, he's defacing public property, but he's such a good artist that what happens is he'll paint a painting, and then they'll like, re the city will like remove the wall and take it and put it in a museum, Banksy, right, because he's just so amazing, his expressions are so amazing. Uh, so this is Banksy. His, his medium is spray paint on a wall, right? Okay, the next one. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. His medium is happy, right? That's it. I don't know. He also has paint, but his medium is happy. Okay, so we're thinking, we're thinking, how do I express something that people have a, have a resonance with? How do I express that? What medium do I use? Next picture. This, I'm not saying photography, I'm saying when you're out in the night sky and you look up and you see the Milky Way and you see the stars and you see this amazing thing, what's the medium there? What did God create in? What did God, how did God express himself? What was his medium? When you look up, it does something to you, right? It does something inside of you. What's the medium that's making that happen? Oh, the next one. What's this one? What's the medium of just joy, just all out, like laughing? I should have probably changed this to a dad for Father's Day. But we just, we see this and we're just like, I know this. I know what this is like. This is about happiness. This is about motherhood. This is about daughterhood. This is about freedom. And there's something inside our soul resonates. What's the medium, though, that's making all that happen? Okay, the next one, final one. This girl just, oh, she just makes me so happy. I think part of it's because she's got a bike helmet on and that, like, adds a thing to me for the cyclist. But she's just so, so happy. What is it? What is it that when you look at that screen, immediately you're like, smiles, feel good, resonance. What is that? Okay, that's what we're going to be looking at. So God said, this is, this is in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. This first day, this starts, the Bible starts with this idea. God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
and he called it a day. That, by the way, is the funniest joke you're going to hear today, and you won't get it for a while. God said, let there be light, and he called it a day. Well, he didn't do anything else. That was all he did that day. Like, as a project manager, you should be a little bit tense uh, about that first day. He's got to make everything. He's got to make everything there ever was, and he's got six days to do it in, and God makes light the first day, and he's like, okay, that's good, right? It's like the guy who's studying for the test that's a week out, and the first day all he does is arrange the pencils. I'm like, okay, I, I'm good, right? And you're like, no. So, so the Hebrews, as they look through the scriptures, they're wondering the same question. Like, what, did, what in the world did he just make light for in this first day? How was that good enough? How was that one-sixth of everything that had to happen? And, and it gets even more confusing when you keep reading in Genesis. And the fourth day, you get to this. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. What? <laughs> wait, wait, what? He made light the first day. And on the fourth day, he makes lights, right? He makes everything that casts light. And the, and the scripture is even smart enough to say, this is what gives light on the earth. This is what makes light on the earth. Which makes you like even more say, what in the world went on on that first day? He made light, and now he's making lights. I just, and the Hebrews are like writing and saying, wow, there's something big here. There's something we've got to look through. There's something we've got to understand. So what did God make on the first day? He made the medium. He made the essence. He made the substance. He made the, the base of it. He made the paint and the clay and the chalk. He made the scaffolding. He made the girders. He made the framework. He made what he was going to make everything else with. He made the, he made the underlying substance of it all. He, and, and he made it, and he called it light. Boosh! There was everything. It could have said. Now, if you think in science terms, like think of the Big Bang. This is exactly what Big Bang science is saying. There was nothing. And an instant later, there was everything that was going to become anything, right? It all, all, element, all the things that were going to be are already an uh, instant after the Big Bang. So, we, so I like to think of it even more abstractly. God makes the layer of truth. God makes the layer of life. God makes this underlying thing that everything else is going to be built on top of. I think, I think that when I connect with God, when I'm standing like in the back of the room just now, when I'm standing there and I, and I connect myself with God, I'm connecting into this layer that is all, all throughout everything. I think that when I connect with you, when we have a, a connection between each other, when I can express something and you can resonate with it, it's because of this light, this life, this layer that's all through all of us. I think when I connect with creation, when I look at the night sky, and there's just something in my soul that's like, praise God, it's because of this light that is in and through me. From the first day, from the first light, everything else was made. So, we're going to look at John. In John, uh, John starts by echoing uh, 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 Genesis. John starts by, by echoing, and, and, but changing the words slightly and repeating and making known a few more things 
John says this, in the beginning was the Word. You know these, maybe if you've been around the church. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now listen. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. There's this, John is referencing Genesis, and he says, light was life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? Bam! Let there be light. Let there be everything. Let there be the layer by which I'm going to make everything. Let there be the medium. So there's this strong connection between light and life. Jesus later says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's all based on this. Let there be light. And there was light. What does it say to your spirit? I mean, it's probably come pretty quick. I said a lot of words. I'm going to slow it for a second. Like, try to feel. What does it say to your spirit to think that that first command, that first word, that first let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. That is in and through you. That that light is still going, and it's still animating you. That you are built on it, that you are created from it. What does it do to your soul? What does it do to your soul to know that that light is also Christ? He is the light, and that light is the, uh, he is the life, and that life is the light of all mankind. That's inside of you. That's resonating in you always. What does it do to your soul to know that that's also animating others, that that's also animating the night sky, that that, that is the, the, the beauty of life? Can you feel anything? I want to put a period right there. Can you feel anything? Can you feel anything in your soul that resonates with that? So why am I setting up that? Why am I setting up that light is life? Because, because I think we need to understand that kind of outward pouring of the light that everything is built on so that we can, we can move forward and, and look into the world and say that I should see that light everywhere. I should see that light poking out of everyone. I should see the the fact that everyone's soul is resonating with that light in some way. If it matters, if it's true, it matters because it's it's pervasive as we look. So I want to also recognize another thing that might be happening inside of you. There's some, there's some defensiveness that happens when someone says something like that. There's a defensiveness that says, wait, 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 Kurt. It's not all good. It's not all rosy. I mean, there's all kinds of darkness out there. Are you really saying that light is inside of everyone, that everyone could see it, could feel it, could touch it, could have access to it in some way? Are you really saying that? Because it, it just doesn't feel right. I am really saying that. I am really saying that that light is pervasive, that that light is what everything else is built on. This is not a new thought either in Christian history. This is not a new thought in in, in how we as 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 a religion, how we as a 
truth-finding people have thought. I, I want to start by looking at Romans. Look at, look at Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He, he is clearly seen. When you look around, you should be able to see God. And other people have found God. Listen to what St. Augustine, do you know St. Augustine? He's one of the, he's one of the Catholic uh, thinkers, one of the big guys that we all, as we're looking at the history of Christian thought, someone who we go back to and look at. St. Augustine said this, Nay, but let every good Christian, and I'm going to just pause there and say, if you want to sound super cool, start your sentences with nay. Nay, but let every good and true Christian understand that whatever truth may be found, it belongs to the master. Whatever truth may be found belongs to the master. Now, lest you say to inside of your head, Kurt, he's just talking about some narrow thing. That's not. Augustine wrote a lot about this. A lot about the fact that where if you look and you find truth in some place that you didn't expect it, if you find truth in someone you feel like doesn't have the same belief system as you, it's still true. And it still belongs to the master. This, this thinking of St. Augustine became known as the phrase, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And that phrase became a thing moving forward in theological circles. John Calvin, who you may know as one of the founders of the, uh, one of the principal people in the Reformation and one of the, one of the people who um, our little slice of the, of the Christian church, the Reformed church, uh, sort of traces its roots back to, John Calvin said this, all truth is from God and consequently, now check this out, and consequently, if wicked men have said anything that's true and just, we ought not to reject it. For it's come from God. He's building on St. Augustine and he's, he's affirming what St. Augustine said. All truth is from God and consequently if wicked men have said anything that's true, we ought not to reject it. I tell you, there, there's a thing inside of me that's like, John, what? Right? That, there's something inside of me that's kind of scared of that. Kind of hesitant to accept that. Which is why I've got to keep pushing myself back to let there be light. And there was light. And it was all pervasive. In fact, later John Calvin says this other thing. Therefore, in reading profane authors, which I think is a fun and great way to pause too. He said, therefore, in reading profane authors, like he's assuming you're reading profane authors. Now, it's clearly, to him, the word profane meant non-Christian. It didn't mean like someone who swears a lot. Uh, but he says, when reading profane authors... The admirable light of truth displayed in them should remind us that the human mind, however much fallen, is adorned and invested with admirable gifts from the Creator. Profane authors are adorned with admirable gifts from the Creator. <laughs> okay. I mean, your head should be exploding a little bit right now. This is, this is, I think, some really new way of looking around the world. And now I'm going to go to one more. This is back to Paul. 
Paul said this in, in Acts. He's, he's, he's talking to some people about Christian religion, and he says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Well, I want to point out that in two sentences there, Paul quotes two different non-Christian, non-Jewish philosophers. And he says they're right. He says they're true. He says that what they're saying is absolutely truth. It's astounding if you think about that. Like we've moved to the point where we are so kind of afraid of understanding what other non-Christian philosophers, what other non-Christian thinkers are thinking and saying that we isolate ourselves. Paul evidently wasn't isolated. Paul said, for in him we live and move and have our being. That is profoundly true. Profoundly true. If you crack me open, Kurt open, and and try to get down to what is lowest in your set of beliefs, close to the bottom will be this kind of idea. In him we live and move and have our being. We're just all in him. This is we are all a part of him, this one bigger thing. And in fact, if you think about what I'm teaching today, it's really based on that. In him we all, not just Christians, in him we all live and move and have our being. This is profoundly true. And it was said by a Cretan philosopher. And Paul adds it into the Bible. A profound truth in our Bible comes from Cretan philosophers. Does it make you uncomfortable? I hope so. There's this both andness to what I'm talking about. So, what would this look like? Right? Okay, Kurt, you've said some high-level abstract things. What would this look like in my life? What are you saying about what we should do? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you three things, three different ways that, that I think it looks. One, one is the leadership summit. You know, we, we always, every summer, start saying, hey, you guys should go to the leadership summit. What you might not know if you haven't been following uh, the, the, the behind-the-scenes world of the leadership summit is that... There is some controversy with the Leadership Summit because the premise of it is Christian leaders should be able to learn from business leaders and business leaders should be able to learn from Christian leaders. And that one premise gets some Christians up on edge. Like, what? You're going you're gonna to invite non-Christian speakers to talk and they might even say things that we don't agree with? Yeah, we are. Yeah, absolutely we are. And we're going to learn from them. Yeah, one of the height, the most uh, controversial times about that was when Bill Clinton was on stage being interviewed, the year that he was involved in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And Willow Creek said, yeah, we're still going to learn. We're still going to learn. We're not going to accept everything. We're not going to say everything he did was right, but we're going to learn. Why wouldn't you learn? That's hard to do. That's hard to do. That takes a different kind of seeing. That takes some eyes that say, you know what? He still probably has something to say that's true. Man, if I could teach one thing to my kids, it would be like, when you look at someone, they're not one thing or the other. They're a thing. They're they're a broad thing. Find the good. Another example, this is from Orchard's past. Um, We're we're kind of past this now uh, in terms of being a controversy, but I remember back in the day when we started playing uh, secular music in our youth ministry, 
And people would be like, you can't do that. You can't play secular music to kids in a, in a Christian setting. Do you know what that music says? Yeah, actually we do. It says things about longing. It says things about how the world's not right. It says things about how I wish there was something different and something better. True things, it says. It also says some non-true things, and we should help our kids understand how to filter that. But it says some just really fundamentally true things. And so we, we, stood, and we stood our ground and said, yeah, we're going to learn from secular music. We're going to do that. Okay, here's another example, and it's a little more personal to me. Um, I've said from the stage before that I, that I meditate. That, that's a practice that I've started over the last few years. And it, and it scared me to say it the first time, and it still scares me to say it, because in my like, upbringing, in my growth, meditation is owned by the Buddhists. Right? If I say the word meditation, I'm, I might as well be saying I'm a Buddhist. Right? It just scares me a little bit still to this day. And yet, the things I'm learning through meditation are bringing me to God. The things I'm learning as I, the things that I'm doing in meditation are, are connecting me to the light. And then it's hilarious. Like, and then you look back in our own scriptures and the scriptures say, meditate on them day and night. Right? We are a people of meditation. In the like third and fourth century, Christianity was, was largely uh, uh, known because of its meditative practices, its mysticism. We've sort of walked away and forgotten all that. And now for us in the modern day, meditation is like key code word for Buddhist. Right? Is there something you can learn from that? Are you willing to think? Are you willing to, to learn? Are you willing to see that there could be light there? Because all throughout our history, our Christian history, our own writers have said, if there's truth there, it's from God. If there's truth there, it's something you can think about and learn about. So, I'm going to conclude with just one last little thing, which is you are supposed to be a filter. You are supposed to be a filter. You should filter things. You should say, that's not good, that's not good, that's good. But being a filter is far different than being a shield. Being a filter is far different than being a wall. In Thessalonians, it says this, don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep what's good. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you can fill us, that your spirit can resonate within us, that we can feel and sense and know this medium of light that you created, this life that you, that you uh, spread throughout all of creation. And that as we get to know it, as we get to, as we get to be familiar with what it feels like and sounds like, that we can see it everywhere. That when we look around, we say, oh yeah, of course that's there because that's from life and from light. 
I pray that we can be the kinds of people who are not afraid to think about truth, who are not afraid to filter, who are not afraid to walk into our world and know that it's filled with you. Now let us worship your presence together. Amen. Thank you.